Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. The Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast Wednesday night edition. A little bit earlier than usual for our live viewers, but happy to have all of you with us. Regardless of the time change, we have a time change because our podcast channel has a big night ahead of it, not only with our show, our our humble little show, compared to the one coming up later in the evening as well. I'm Anthony Cazenza, joined by John Sheeran. John, how you doing, bud? I'm doing good, man. We're we're all preparing for the civil war that's about to go down on Ace Boogie's YouTube channel, New Stripe City. Definitely check that out after this podcast ends. If you're watching it live, check it out on Ace's channel at uh, youtube.com slash New Stripe City. It's going to be a huge show conglomerate with a bunch of different guests, including, I believe, Willie Anderson's going to be on, Tony Pike, former UC Bearcat, James Rapine, a bunch of other people amongst Bengals Twitter, all discussing one topic, Panay Sewell versus Jamar Chase. Definitely check that out. Um, If if you're listening to it after the fact, definitely check it out on our podcast and wherever you get your podcasts. But it should be a fun-filled night all revolving around one topic that's really just encapsulating the entirety of Bengals Twitter right now, Anthony. Well, one of these days I'll get invited to the Cool Kids table and I'll be uh, able to to give some of my discourse. A kid, of course. Uh, It sounds like a fun time for all of you guys. And I'm looking forward to hearing and watching that a lot of big names, including yourself, on that one. So should be fun. We're going to have a little bit of Jamar Chase talk tonight. We're going to talk a little free agency. And we're going to talk uh, draft profile. So we've got a lot on tap on this show. We're going to head right into it. And let's just kind of quickly recap. I know we did a bit of this on the Monday show with our special guest, Kenneth Giles of Symbol on the water cooler chat. But since then... We knew about Jerron Reed uh, signing elsewhere with the Kansas City Chiefs after the Bengals had some reported interest after he was let go from the Seahawks. Ryan Kerrigan appears to have uh, said thanks but no thanks to whatever the Bengals were were pitching him on a, on a visit there. But since, John, Mike Daniels and Amani Bledsoe have been added to the defense. So your thoughts on those two guys being added over the past couple of days here? Right. So... Amani Bledsoe, I believe, was like an exclusive rights free agent, and they didn't tender him initially when free agency began. So they just waited like two weeks until they wanted to re-sign him for what I assume is just a vet minimum deal as well. And Mike Daniels got a little bit more when he got uh, this time last year. So it kind of signals, you know, they, they definitely do value his his overall depth and what he brings from a leadership standpoint. You know, it's just filling out that defensive line, right? We knew that they were gonna, they were still looking at defensive tackles that we knew they were looking at defensive ends. Obviously Bledsoe does not move the needle at all. It just really just fills out the rest of that room. So you have sort of a too deep, you know, depth chart look at all four of those defensive line positions going into the draft where I think you can all assume that they're going to address it in one way, shape or form, but they're not done. Like they can't rely on a money Bledsoe, obviously again, as one of your main backup defensive ends, but this, these moves put them up to, I believe, 65 uh, rostered players, which is almost like what I what I expected them to be right around before the draft. It, it allows them to bring in like 20 or so rookies that gets them up to 85, and then there's a handful more spots that they can add like after the draft when the compensatory pick formula is no longer valid. They can just add for each, and regardless, they'll have to worry about losing a compensatory pick for Carl Lawson in next year's draft. So that may or may not be the plan, but right now they are in a good spot where they have most of the roster spots filled, but they're obviously still going to be looking at um, offensive and defensive line as the offseason kind of rolls on. 
Well, Mike Daniels is a fan favorite and came in and played, uh, you know, a different role than what was initially envisioned for him last year. Now he comes back to the team on, a, on another one-year deal. I, a valuable guy, I think. I think hopefully they're going to have a little bit more depth and have a little bit more luck in terms of the injury issues and and not press him necessarily into. I mean, I know he'll be prepared for it. Us, us mm-hmm. having spoken with him b- before, I know he will be prepared for whatever role they give him. But, you know, I think ideally the Bengals will have more able bodies just in healthy bodies up front uh, in that defensive line rotation. That's obviously what they've been trying to address, you know, whether it's having interest in Carl Lawson, obviously pivoting to Trey Hendrickson there and, and signing him, re-signing Mike Daniels. They had interest in uh, Jerron Reed. They brought in Larry Joby. So, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, you know, a lot of people in the mix there, and they're looking to really revamp that after Geno Atkins, um, Geno Atkins has left. How, how are you feeling about the defense, John, just so far based on these acquisitions, what they've been trying to do? I mean, are you feeling better about things, even without a Geno Atkins on the roster? Are you? Are, is it still just kind of, hey, it's it's Lou Anarumo's defense, and he's got to show me a lot this year? Well, he definitely does have to show them a lot, and I feel like like the like the Daniel signings is one of the many like one year deals that this team has um, signed to players, and I know that's more or less the nature of most of free agency. Not everybody gets a multi year deal. You know, there's the draft, and there's just free agents, undrafted free agency stories that kind of pop up, and we really don't know what the roster is going to end up looking like when it comes to August and September. So most of your roster is already composed of a lot of one-year deals. But I think specifically we can kind of angle this towards like Louis Rumo's on the clock, right? And a, a lot of the stuff that, that's going into what is making his defense this year, it may not look the same next year if, if he's fired, if he if he continues to underperform as the defensive coordinator. So they've given him a bunch of ammunition, but they've all also you know kind of signaled that you know these are your guys, but we're not necessarily long-term committed to all of the things that, do, that you have going on here, all the players that are fitting under your scheme. So I think in general, like we, we've talked about how the defense is more or less kind of a wash compared to last year, but also it, it's hard to compare to previous rosters to the Bengals because you're dealing with a lot of past injuries. And obviously the defensive line, like you mentioned, it was just bludgeoned by injuries even before the season even began. They were down like two or three defensive tackles. They didn't have like Geno Atkins for basically the entire year. They traded Carlos Dunlap, who just at, the, at a certain point just didn't want to be there. So they dealt with a ton of adversity. And now on paper, you're thinking, okay, there's a lot of solid names on the, on the defense line, but it's really up to you know Trey Hendrickson still ascending as a player, as a pass rusher, and still finding, I guess, another you know pass rushing juice source, if you will, that can really you know elevate the position group to a position of strength instead of just kind of you know just being there and just kind of surviving on just sheer effort, if you will. Well, moving, moving on a little bit, this just kind of a little bit of a funny segue, I guess. One of the departures the Bengals uh, allowed to happen or made happen was Bobby Hart being released from the team <laughs> after they signed Riley Reef. And Bobby Hart, lo and behold, goes and signs with the Buffalo Bills. And the connection between these two teams and their released players, their free agency players, all of that, it just continues every offseason. There is seems to be an exchange of players in some form or fashion. Not really much to talk about, I guess, on this one, John, just more than, wow, it's just continuing and it's a bit comical. You'd think they'd learn after they signed Russell Bodine a couple years ago. Um, I, I, don't, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't understand how Bobby Hart got a contract before Geno Atkins. Now, those situations are very independent, but... Like the Bills' whole offensive line plan for the past like four years has just been throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. They didn't make a ton of huge investments in that position group aside from, I think, giving uh, Deion Dawkins a mega extension a year or two ago. But, I mean, Bobby Hart, talent-wise, he can survive on an, on an NFL team. He can he can he he has a place on some roster. Obviously, the Bills aren't expecting him to start, and that's just what he is. He's just a backup, so... All the best to him, you know, if he can if he can still find work, especially for a team that's a playoff contender and some, a team that's going to be good for a long time, you know, good for him. Hopefully he he finds a niche there, I guess. Yeah, just quickly, our buddy uh, Justin um, of Engraven Vids, go subscribe to his channel. He's been on our show a couple of times. Great channel. He asked you all that he covers the Ravens and the rest of the NFL, but obviously has a vested interest in Josh Bynes asking, did you did you all let Josh Bynes go? He was a he 
we didn't let him go or the Bengals didn't let him go. He was a free agent on a one-year deal last year. He is still a free agent to my knowledge. I would think, John, about Josh Bynes, I would think the Bengals would probably have some level of interest, may gauge what happens in the draft if Bynes is still floating out there. A little bit similar to the Mike Daniels situation, maybe a little bit less of desperation at that position group just because they made so many investments in the draft. But I would think just to maybe get a veteran presence, if they don't really get what they want out of the draft, maybe a name doesn't become available that they think may come available in the next couple of weeks. He's probably in their late spring, early summer plans, perhaps. Right. I, I kind of grouped him with Mike Daniels as a guy who very well could come back, but there was obviously no rush because the market for both of those guys weren't going to be that lucrative. And I think um, when they signed Jordan Evans back, you know, that, that gave him like five players, like like the five linebackers that they had for the most of last season. You know, you got to think they're not going to carry more than six on the final roster. So they have the, the vast majority of that position group on the books now. And I think with Evans back, it more or less, I don't, I don't want to say shuts the door on a Bynes return because obviously they still have a lot of respect for him. And I think he can still maybe play for one more year. But at this point, you, yeah, like it, it's it's if he's available down the line and they need him, I think that's when that reunion can happen. But at this point, um, I, I think there's just not really an opening for him, I guess. Now, I think they're counting on Logan Wilson and Jermaine Pratt as their starters. They have Marcus Bailey coming back. Hopefully he can get a full offseason, a healthy offseason to kind of fill into a more of a, of a rotational role. Akeem Davis Gaither's still there, and obviously Evans, who's a special teamer. So I, I, there's not a lot, like a lot of room right now for Bynes. But if room does open up and he's available, I think he could get a call. Uh, yeah, again, and, and Zach Taylor really is still seems to be preaching the character aspect of the locker room, and, and he values some of those veteran guys like a Gio Bernard, perhaps a Josh Bynes, a Mike Daniels for sure, one of those guys that was a, a late addition but was kind of the glue in the locker room and hopefully will continue to be so. We assume he he will be on this next next deal here. So that's kind of where we're at with the Cincinnati Bengals and some some acquisitions in terms of wave, I guess, what are we, wave three, wave four at this point uh, of, of free agency. But, you know, I, I would expect the Bengals to maybe make another couple of moves here, maybe shortly before the draft, definitely after the draft, once the dust settles and they kind of see where, what shape their roster is in. Um, you look like you got something you want to add there, John. I mean, we, we, we got fans, we got listeners in the comment section talking about it. I don't, I don't know if you're aware of this because this, this did actually break within the hour of when we started. This I think play. I know where you're going, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So Bobby Hart joined the Bills, and but he wasn't the only uh, former Bengal that joined a, a new team this offseason. William Jackson signed a three-year deal with, a, with the Washington football team, and he was actually on a Washington-based radio show. It was called B. Mitch and Finley on 1067 The Fan in Washington, and I believe he was asked about Cincinnati, the Bengals, and their fan base. And this is what he had to say, and I quote, Cincinnati, they got some crude fans, man. Misery loves company. Them dudes, they wonder why they're not winning. I'm happy I'm out of that thing, man. It's a blessing to get away, and I wish them the best. But Washington, let's go from here. So what are we to make of that? I saw that one, unfortunately. And uh, I, here I can I can pull this up a little bit here. I, I, I think our, our buddy James Rapine of all Bengals and his crew has an article up on that. So uh, we can we can share that for you there. But look, uh, that one kind of hit. It, it stung a little bit because at least for me, because you can. You can say something about, hey, you know, it's just kind of sour grapes. He's saying something as he moves on and that's kind of that. And, you know, the players are going to talk. Not everybody has the same experience, all of that. But, you know, I mean, we heard John Kitten a few weeks ago go on a, a national podcast talking about certain players that he played with in the, what sounded like the pre-Marvin era uh, that was showed a, a, an immense amount of a lack of accountability. TJ Hushmanzada has corroborated some of those stories. I think Willie Anderson has corroborated some of those stories in one form or another. Now that's a long time ago. This isn't now. Things are different, but at the same time, John, it, it kind of, for me, it reminded me a little bit of Carson Palmer's exit of Cincinnati because there were some rumblings about some bad fans that did some things to his house or something like that. Um, I don't know, man. I, it, it's just a bummer that I guess it's say something on your way out. It wasn't overly scathing, but it wasn't very complimentary. And it makes you wonder, like, especially in this day and age of social media, you know, how much these players really do watch 
and read all of these things that average Joe's put out about them, their performances in game on a down to down basis, all of that. So I think he knew what he was doing here. Obviously he has no love for Cincinnati and I guess it's fan base. Um, I mean, he, I, I doubt he's the only person to, to think this way about a, a former team in a former city that he played in. The thing is, like, I, I don't really know a, a lot. Like, I mean, I, I know people weren't like overly enamored with with William in, in his time here, but I think for the most part, fans wanted the team to bring him back because they recognized that he was still a, good, a solid player. I think for yeah, I think if you took a consensus that most people would have liked for him to be resigned, but. Like this, I don't think this really came out of nowhere. This has been more or less rumored for like the last year or two about how Williams not exactly happy in Cincinnati and the front office isn't exactly committed to him long term. That that was very evident when they signed Trey Wayne. So I don't think this really came out of nowhere. But also, like I, I don't necessarily blame him for for saying these things. Like obviously, he definitely saw it firsthand and he, and he heard it. And if, and if that's what if that was his main takeaway, then that that that's what it is. And now he's just in another stage of life. And, and I don't, I don't fan, I don't blame the fans for getting mad at him either, because like the, that's just how this ca- this kind of thing works. But it is the reality. Like if you know, if you add players on Twitter, and if you you know are very vocal about that, they they hear it. It doesn't just go through them. It doesn't necessarily make them weak for like listening to it and kind of compartmentalizing it. But at the same time, like I, I never really thought of William as a guy that you know, like Bobby Hart, who was like a like a whipping boy from from the fan base. So it, it was a little bit. I guess surprising to hear him say this stuff, but I do believe that he definitely heard it. And if that's how he wants to take it, he's perfectly fine to do it. Unfortunately, I don't know how much better it's going to be in Washington <laughs> with an equally, right. if not worse, um, or more vocal fan base in, in that sense. And we can talk all about a, a Dan Snyder run organization, but you know, I, I wish the best for him. I was just a little bit surprised that that he kind of had this takeaway from it. I was too, and I, I just, you know, it just kind of was a little bit unprovoked. It's not like, oh, tell us how bad it was in Cincinnati. At least that's not how the question was posed from what I heard or what I saw. It was just kind of like, you know, tell us about being in Washington. And it was just a little bit of uh, kick you while you're down type of thing. And it reminded me not only of the Carson Palmer situation, but of Jonathan Joseph's exit as well. If you remember right after he left Cincinnati, he was talking about how they had to pay for Gatorade and all of that stuff. And it was just kind of like, well, I mean, you just got to hope not everybody's experience is the same. And from what we understand that that is the case, because we've had guys like Mike Daniels on this show talk, talk glowingly about what's going on in Cincinnati, what's going on specifically under Zach Taylor. And we've had, you know, we've seen players leave the organization like Carlos Dunlap, who was at odds with Lou Anarumo. So, I mean, it's just, you know, different, different experiences for different players. It's, it's a bummer to hear it. I, I was, I was teetering on whether or not we were going to talk about this or not. I saw it and I know it was shortly before we took the air, but um, I think it was worth, worth discussing. And how, I mean, do you take a lot of stock in it, John? I, I, I don't know. I, well, I certainly think it's like real. He's not just saying this stuff to, to say and like drive up a story. Like that's something yeah. that he genuinely feels. And if that, if that, if that's how he feels and that, then that's how he feels like he should expect the reaction to come from that. But you know, I, I mean, the, this is why, like, like with free agency, it's a two-way street. There has to be a mutual interest to bring back a player, and there has to be an interest for the player to want to come back. And this seemed like a mutual disinterest from both sides. It just seemed like a separation that was destined to happen from, like, a long time in the making, despite how good he was of a player. So, like, this really does confirm why the Bengals just weren't that interested in bringing him back. And and it's probably a good thing, because even if they offered him a lot of money and he took it, I don't know how much happy he would he would be here. Yep. Well, let's let's transition to something a little bit happier, if we may. Uh, <laughs> and this is from just quickly. We usually do kind of a little soundbite of the week or whatever. This isn't that. It, this is from Bengals Twitter, uh, the Bengals Twitter account. A day before April Fool's Day. Um, this is Joe Burrow apparently going into a throwing session, a workout of some kind. So you can see here, uh, this is him cruising through the confines somewhere, I believe, of Paul Brown Stadium. He's got a little bit of a knee brace on, but he's going out there to get some work done. And Bengals Twitter is getting a lot of people excited about that. So for all of the hubbub, if you will, with William Jackson and the negativity there, John, we get a little bit of a good news and a little bit of a tease from Bengals, dot, or Bengals Twitter's account. 
uh, about Joe Burrow hitting the field, getting some throws in, et cetera. And I thought it was interesting because uh, our friend Ben Baby of ESPN um, just tweeted out like this kind of indicates that Burrow has begun and started to throw again. And then Tyler Dragon of the Inquirer said that he has been throwing like this isn't the first time. This isn't the first day that he's been throwing and working on the field with with the trainers. So I, I think this is just a signal that there is progress being made and he's continuing to put in this work and more or less he's on schedule. We don't know exactly what that schedule is. We just keep hearing week one is the target date. And, you know, I, I think Dragon also mentioned that you know the Bengals had more or less optimistic plans with AJ Green specifically back in 2019 when he missed that entire year and they didn't exactly handle that as well as they could have. And he claims that they've learned their lesson and they're taking a little bit more slow with this one to make sure that there are no setbacks and there is an actualized plan of attack to make sure that he misses the least amount of time possible. So, you know, take your word, take that for what it is, or if you want, you know, however however much stock that you want to take into that. But um, I, I think, you know, obviously seeing him walk around and go, going out there on the field to work is, is nothing but good news. Absolutely. Uh, let's Before we transition into the state your case, John, just quickly, we're kind of putting a bow a little bit on the free agency period for the Bengals. If you were to say, I, we can maybe do least favorite, I guess, if you want, but your favorite free agency signing whether it's based on the player's ability, contract value, and structure, et cetera. What's your favorite free agency move the Bengals have made so far a few weeks in? I think just an overarching, from an overarching sense, just everything that that was about it, like the story and the impact, I think it's Riley Reef. <laughs> just like, just seeing like the rumors about, oh, like he's he's out being courted by like Burrow or whatever at, at the precinct or something like that. And then just, then just hearing the whole story about how like they brought all the free agents out there. They brought Sam Hubbard. They brought Burrow. They brought Zach Taylor. And they're just like thro- shoving steak down his throat. They're giving him cigars and stuff like that. That whole thing was, was just fun. And then um, the, like, he's like the first contract that the Bengals have ever used a, a void year in. So like freed up cap space in order to get him there. And just the fact that he's replacing one of their worst players in Bobby Hart at a position that they needed a lot. I think even if it is a one-year deal, and even if he's not like a high upside signing, he's just going to be here for one year because he's 32 years old. I, I still think that whole story just kind of stood out to me the most. And it really did put a bow on, you know, it, it made sure that that first week of free agency wasn't for nothing, that they didn't just address the defense. They did address their biggest need. And it's why, you know, that, that fifth pick right now is wide open and for a player that we're going to discuss. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. I think I've been teetering back and forth a little bit. I did like the Reef signing for all the mention, uh, the reasons you mentioned, but I also really liked – I go back and forth. I like the Joby signing, but I also really like the Mike Hilton signing, it, just for a variety of reasons. I know it's a little pricey, especially for a slot cornerback, but it is one of their – one of the few long-term deals. Most of their stuff so far has kind of been those, those one-year rental deals, or a lot of their deals have been that. Mike Hilton comes from a division rival. He's been a productive player and he can do a lot of different things. He's he's able in coverage. You need good slot corners in this league right now. He can blitz the quarterback. He's physical. And, you know, it just, I, I guess, for whatever the, this is, just, I guess, me being around the Bengals and w- watching, covering the Bengals for a long time, there's something to me that I really like about a Steelers player and coming from that organization and willingly coming to the Cincinnati Bengals and some of the disparity of success that those two organizations have had. I just like that idea that a Steelers player in his prime would come to the Cincinnati Bengals and especially defensive player because Steelers are, are largely known for their defense. So that, that strikes me as, as one of my favorite signings, even though it may not be a, a huge needle mover for a lot of people. Yeah. A former Raven, a former Brown and a former Steeler have signed with the Bengals in the last yeah. two years. It's, it's, it's unheard of. It really is. Yeah. So those are, those are ours. I'm sure we could debate the other side, but let's, let's not throw too many people under the bus at this point or before they take a, a dang snap for the team, shall we? Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. 
And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. But let's, those are a couple of our favorites there. We're going to get to a state your case revolving around the NFL draft, but hopefully some of you caught our Monday edition of the Water Cooler Chat. We had a special guest. I mentioned it earlier, Kenneth Giles of Symbol. Really cool business and a new partner of this program. John, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, yeah, so Symbol is the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol has blended sports and the stock market to offer you a new way to invest in and profit off your favorite teams without the high fees and high losses of gambling. You can use your sports knowledge to buy low, sell high, and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Join the 2,000 plus early adopters who have started to invest in their favorite teams. Visit www.symbol.app. That's www.simbull.app or visit the link in the description, symbol.app backslash OBI to create a free account. And when you deposit, make sure to use the promo code OBI for a $10 deposit bonus and buy a share of the Sim Bengals if you believe in Joe Burrow. Visit www.symbol.app backslash OBI. Use the promo code OBI for a $10 deposit to help you build your portfolio. We will show you this real quick for those live listeners as well, that uh, what John was telling you about with a website, et cetera. Good stuff. Kenneth was was a lot of fun to talk to, man. Uh, I I had a, a lot of good, not only hearing about, here you go right here for our, our live viewers and or those who watch after the fact, kind of a cool deal. You get a $10 deposit bonus when you sign up using the promo code OBI. Please do so. We've had a number of listeners tell us already that they've done so, so that's pretty cool. But um, had a lot of fun chatting with him, John. He was a good guy and really excited to be partnering with them throughout uh, the, you know, the coming months ahead here and and really, really neat program, you know, especially for those who are really involved in fantasy football, kind of a different outlet. Yeah. He just emailed us like right before the show. He said, yeah, we had six or seven new uh, members join using the promo code. So thank you guys for investing in the product and, um, yeah, just, just getting this partnership started. So, and, he, and he wants to come back on too. So we, we, we would have, you would love to have him back on because he provides an insight that I think is very interesting. Absolutely. So HTTPS colon backslash backslash symbol dot app slash OBI. Check it out and use the promo code OBI to get a $10 credit when you sign up. Good stuff there. Appreciate it from the folks uh, at symbol. Well, John, it's that time. I it's where, where we either get popular or we get hated, but it's state your case time. So in case some of you did not see today, uh, as of Wednesday, Jamar Chase, one of the potential, there's there's kind of two, maybe three-ish, four-ish names that are being thrown around for the Bengals at number five, if they sit there, depending on who falls in their lap. I, I think we all know the usual suspects right now. The big two are Panay Sewell and Jamar Chase. And then, of course, you've got Rashawn Slater in the conversation, You've got Kyle Pitts potentially in the conversation. That seems a bit unlikely. So that's those are kind of the names that are floating around here. But if you look at what happened today with Jamar Chase and his pro day, he jumped and ran out of the stadium, John. And I've got a couple of this is a this is from For the Win which is through the USA Today Network. You can see here various tweets saying 41-inch vertical. That was his best. Jamar Chase, huge. 11-foot broad jump. And then, of course, he's got a 4-3-8-40 on top of that. So we've talked about Jamar Chase before. And it was a bit about, you know, hey, this is this is why the Bengals could be interested, the age, the, the breakout age and the fact that he was, you know, 19 years old, scoring 20 plus touchdowns 
in the SEC with Joe Burrow, uh, even though he took the year off last year. So there's a lot to like here. And John, I, I think as much as I do like Panay Sewell, as much as I do think the Bengals should address offensive line early, and I think they will, I think the pro day today solidified the Bengals selecting Jamar Chase at number five after this workout. Now, may, perhaps the Bengals already had a very good inkling that he was going to put up workout numbers like this or similar to them. But when you're running a, a sub 4-4, four, four, you, you've got a, a huge broad jump, a huge vertical jump, and then you had the production to match it, plus the age, even with the year off. I think that this is in the Bengals' wheelhouse. Now, you also look at the fact that this team, I've said this a couple of times, this team and, it's, and the organization loves wide receivers. They love athletic wide receivers, and they that is an investment they are not usually afraid to make, for better or for worse, whether it's paying A.J. Green a franchise tag coming off of a few injury plague seasons prior to that, whether it's extending Chad Johnson and making him one of the highest paid receivers in the league a number of times, whether it's uh, – you know, drafting using high draft capital oftentimes at wide receiver. They just did so last year. And maybe that's why people are going, why would you do that at number five again? I just think, John, that these numbers scream Bengals are going to go after him at number five. Offensive line be damned. There are, there's a deeper offensive line class. They could go after number uh, in rounds two, three, and, and probably both and beyond going forward. I'm not saying necessarily that this is my preference or not my preference. I'm just saying with the workout today and the numbers that he put up, I thought he would shine. I didn't know it would be necessarily this great. And I think that the, it really kind of solidified the fact that he's probably going to be the number five pick for the Bengals if he is there in a month. So people talk about the combine, which didn't happen this year, but in general, people talk about the combine as an act of confirmation. It's confirming not only – the medical exams, which is what teams really care about. But it's also confirming the athleticism that you see on tape, right? It's not like you, we, we don't really learn a lot when guys run 40s. It's just more or less like, does that match how they look when they run in pads, right? And also, we, we however much we think we know about players and teams, like actual NFL teams, they have so much more information and in, in, at their disposal and data at their disposal that we do. So, if any of us were shocked about Jamar Chase's pro day, NFL teams and specifically the Cincinnati Bengals should not have been like this guy was legitimately a track star when he entered LSU. Like you can look up his track and field profile out of the state of Louisiana. He, he was like, he was like a, like an all American, like long jumper. He ran like a re really fast hundred meter dash. Like he was legitimately, he was made for drills like this. Right. And people thought when he was 18, 19 years old, how he looked on the football field two years ago was a reflection of how he was going to test a year later after he stopped playing football. And that just never made sense to me. Like he was 19 years old. The last time he put on pads with Joe Burrow, he, he took a year off. He did nothing but train. And he was already this type of explosive athlete that was built for track and field. And he was only going to get better. And when he got older, now he's 21 years old. You have to think that those types of athletes, those already really athletic guys, they only develop positively. So they're only going to test better than what you think that they were going to do based off what you saw on the field. People, So many people thought like, oh, this guy doesn't separate. He doesn't accelerate down the field like a 4-4 guy. He's a 4-4. Four, four, he's a 4-5 guy on, on tape. That's probably what he's going to run. Yet Bruce Feldman of The Athletic, who does his annual top college athlete freak list, he he reported that Jamar Chase ran a 4-4 flat 40-yard dash last summer at six foot 208 pounds, and he power cleaned like 330 pounds, which is just insane. Like, on, on top of all this stuff, he benched, I think, 225, like 23 times about a month ago. So this dude was always explosive. He was always as strong as an ox. Those guys typically run fast, right? I don't, I don't know if anyone else really expected under 4-4, but teams should have definitely expected something like this if had they had any – decent knowledge about who Jamar Chase was and specifically with the Bengals, they probably know everything that he is, that he is at this point because they have that connection with Joe Burrow. They've definitely talked with him. He claimed he, he said in the um, post pro day, like media session that he has talked with the Bengals. He doesn't even know how many times apparently like he's, he's lost count. I, I, either he just doesn't know which team he's talking to, or he's already talked to the Bengals several times that he just doesn't know the exact number of conversations that they had. So Yes, like he's 100% in the conversation. If not, he's the favorite 
to be that pick because of everything logical that goes around it. But also, this is confirmation of a really good athlete, and not a lot of us should have been surprised by it. There may be a different, a little bit of a different spin on things. Sewell has his pro day, I believe, Friday uh, or, or late in the week. So, uh, you know, there may be some different conversations. Everybody thinks they know all the stuff beforehand, and and these guys oftentimes surprise us. You know, everybody who didn't want Chase for the Bengals seemingly said he's going to measure in at 5'10", he's going to run 4'5", and he's going to, you know, all this stuff. Well, lo and behold, he measured in over six feet tall. He ran uh, a sub 4'4", 40, which was his, he was trying to get at 4'4", he, he told reporters at the end of his workout, and he jumped out of the out of the gym. So, you know, all of these people that thought he was going to be too short and not fast enough, they got proved wrong, at least in the in the underwear Olympics, quote unquote, on Wednesday. And I, I'm seeing this too, John, from our, our good friends here, Antoine Malone, uh, talking about Kyle Pitts uh, and Mike Holbrook as well. Pitts is a matchup nightmare. I, I would love Kyle Pitts for this team. I just don't, we've been hearing from some beat reporters and whatnot that that's probably not going to happen. They are probably looking at that T E designation and not going that route and, or they are enamored with Jamar chase and these numbers that he put up Wednesday. So as of this point, again, it's not necessarily what I would do in the, in the GM uh, chair. I, it would be one of the options for sure that I would be thinking about, but I would just, I'm just saying, I think what we saw Wednesday really solidified that he is the front runner for the Cincinnati Bengals based on their history at the wide receiver position and what he showed. I mean, he fits everything that they look for. And yes, Zach Taylor was at Florida's Pro Day, not only looking at Kyle Pitts, but I was assuming Kadarius Tony as well. Florida's got a lot of athletic prospects. But also, I mean, it makes sense because they've been talking to Chase. They pretty much know who he is as a person at this point. It makes sense why not everybody of the Bengals brass was there to, to see him in person. But honestly, who, who do you think matters more, Zach Taylor or Troy Blackburn? Because Troy Blackburn was at at LSU's pro day, according to Jay Morrison of the Athletic. I mean, he's the vice president, so like he's going to be around here longer than than Zach Taylor is. So yeah. I think that also means something as well. But also, that, that's just due diligence, right? Like these pro days happen on the same day, and they have to split up resources and personnel to go whichever way. So, like, yeah, I, I think they're doing due diligence on Pitts, but I, I think. Right, the logic and the rumors. We there's so many insiders now who are leaning towards Chase. Like, like just listening to them, Dane Brugler, Ben Albright, Albert Breer, Peter King, Paul Dinner Jr. Like all those guys have more or less said in the last week that they're leaning towards Chase or Chase is the favorite now at this point. So it, it's impossible to deny that. And we haven't heard anything about that with Pitts, only the opposite. So this is we have to operate under this knowledge and what is being said right now and what's being said is that Jamar Chase logically fits and that's pretty much where they're leaning at this point. Man, Chase, Boyd, Higgins, that would be quite the trio. And then you've got, you know, Auden Tate and Mike Thomas behind them. Uh, that would, that would round out your receiver group pretty nicely. I mean, I didn't really want to weigh on this one, but I'm sure Joe Burrow is, uh, there's been some reports that he's quote unquote stumping for, or you know, at least giving glowing reviews of Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase was asked today, uh, Wednesday, that is, at his pro day about reuniting with Joe Burrow, and he said it would be a nice thing to have happen. Um, so, I mean, obviously, that connection, their history together, that that bodes well. It's po- it's entirely possible that the Bengals go Sewell or or an offensive lineman, maybe outside the realm of possibility they go Pitts there. But as of now, I just based on what I what I know about this organization, what I've seen from Jamar Chase today, and kind of connecting a lot of dots, I just I think he's the front runner. And it may not be music to people's ears that want an offensive lineman at number five and think that that is their most pressing need at the at the this point in time. But wide receiver is a big need too. I mean, Sewell's going to have his pro day. He's going to test great. And this this whole thing is going to go back to square one, right? It's going to be like, oh, the Bengals can't pass on school. Like, Zool's going to run like a like a sub five one forty. He's going to test with like thirty five inch arms. Like, like that's that's what's going to happen because that's that's who Penny Sewell is, and we we all been knew that, right? So we're all going to go back to square one. But that's the whole point. Like, I don't think this whole thing is settled yet. I think entering free agency, they were locked in on school. That was the report. The Bengals don't smoke screen; they just get leaked, right? That they're they're terrible at leading teams the other way, like. What we hear is basically what it is. 
it makes perfect sense going into free agency that they were locked in on Sewell. Now it kind of seems like it is very much an open debate. I don't want to say it's like it's internal, like you know, a, a, a divide amongst the, amongst the team, but it's very much a conversation whether to go Chase or Sewell. So it is not over yet. I would not say that the card says Jamar Chase right now, but if you had to lean one way or the other based off what we're hearing, kind of seems like Chase. Yeah, I'm seeing a comment from our our good buddy. Uh, Robert Obrecht saying hard to get the ball to three wide outs. And then I see someone, someone else had said something. You no, know, it is not. It is not because if you saw, I mean, basically they, the Bengals had two, they had two receivers that sniffed a thousand yards last year. And then AJ green almost had six, 600 yards in a subpar season. And with Joe Burrow missing the last third of the season. So, I mean, I, I think you're able, especially with Joe Burrow and a healthy full season under, under his belt, you're able to get three guys, the ball, I, I think, it, it is hard to defend three right. wide receivers of that caliber. Like that, that's the whole point. People are so worried, I guess, of of the of the egos of Boyd and Higgins. Like, oh, it's going to cap their potential. It's only going to make them better. Like, it, they may not be like prime fantasy targets now, if, if that's what you care about. But if if this offense, you know, if it if it's ever to reach like five thousand passing yards from Burrow, like the majority of that's going to be the receivers. Like every everyone's life is going to be so much easier. Like the like the Bengals. In, look at the recent history: Chad, TJ, Chris Hendry, AJ, Marvin Jones, Muhammad Sanu. This this would be the next version of that. It makes sense. Yep, and and with a a more adept quarterback, you would you would think and hope who is still growing. The other thing with Jamar Chase before we close up this week, state your case. The other thing with Jamar Chase at twenty one years old, you know, six six foot plus, a little over two hundred. There is still potentially, you know, as he gets 23, 24 years old, there's still potentially some growth to be had uh, physical growth. So not, not only, you know, football, mental growth, physical growth, and you could even see a, a slightly even bigger version. If you, if you think for some reason he's too small or whatever for pick number five, that is theoretically bound to happen. But this is this week's state your case. We think, I think that Jamar chase has uh, cemented himself as the front runner for the Bengals at pick number five. Watch next week. Panesa will blow up the com, uh, the pro <laughs> and I'll, I'll do the opposite. But that was this week's State Your Case. Let's move on. And gosh, believe it or not, this show can make sense sometimes, John. And we'll segue nicely into a draft profile in just a second. Just want to remind all of our live listeners, whether you're new to the program or not, uh, please try and join us live. We don't normally record at this time, but special special evening full of coverage on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. But uh, if you can join us for every live recording on our YouTube channel, on CincyJungle.com and Cincy Jungle's Facebook page. If not, you can download the audio recording on your favorite audio streaming platform, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, any of those. We're on all the major ones. And then, of course, our YouTube channel. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's a little icon right under John's left shoulder there. Yeah, click that bad boy and you get notified when we go live via video and or uh, subscribe to all of those our podcast channels so you know when new material from our show, from Orange is the New Black, from Chalk Talk, all that stuff is live for you to consume. John, well, the Bengals may not go offensive line at number five if my if I end up being a nice soothsayer and looking in my crystal ball and predicting Jamar Chase there, but... We talked a little bit last week on our on our mock draft about Alex Leatherwood, a tackle that could, could theoretically be there and should theoretically be there in round two based on projections. Seems like a nice piece for the team, a guy who could play guard and then kick out to tackle later on theoretically going forward and a, and a guy that the Bengals could be very interested in being from Alabama. But there's another name that could be a top round two, and that is Notre Dame's Liam Eichenberg. A guy who started has a lot of starting experience at left tackle, has a lot of good film, and a guy who probably could be a good player for the Cincinnati Bengals on the offensive line going forward. So I've got some stuff, some notes. I reviewed some film. I saw some other things. I, I, 
I know you have some thoughts on them as well. So we'll kind of go back and forth on this, but I'll kick it off with some of the things that I found and saw with Liam Eikenberg and how he may or may not fit with the Cincinnati Bengals, at least this year or the years ahead. So here is one, by the way, if you don't follow, if you're on Twitter, you don't follow this guy's account, uh, please do so. He has a really cool account, especially this time of year. Uh, Kentley Platt at Math Bomb. So if you look at, he does these, uh, it's the relative athletic score. He kind of takes a lot of different composite data, but from workouts and size and all these at all different kinds of position groups. And you can see here, it goes, dates all the way back to 1987. So at Math Bomb, go check him out, especially this time of year. Go go follow him because it's, it's a really cool thing. But you see here, um, 853, and the composite agility grade is great. Um, the bench, of course, I know Paul Alexander is no longer <laughs> the Bengals coach, but the bench is a high a high thing there. Good size. You see a little over six feet, a little over 300 pounds. Um, not great on the vertical jump. Broad jump's okay. And then some other good, like I said, great agility grades there. So as you see here, this was interesting to me. The 8.53 RAS out of a possible 10 was 166th out of 1,124 offensive tackles from 87 to 21. So pretty, pretty good. Not something to leap out of your chair about necessarily, but it's worth noting. And that's, that's some of the stuff that you see on film, or at least I saw on film. I saw a pretty good athlete, not a great one. I saw a guy who does things. He's kind of just solid across the board, kind of just solid across the board. And that's great. Uh, for the Cincinnati Bengals who need long-term help at, at tackle. And this could be your right tackle of the future. The, the concern there, speaking of right tackle, is there's not a lot of snaps from him at, from the right. He's had a, a few. I, I saw some some snaps at right tackle from him, but he was primarily their left tackle and replaced Mike McGlinchey after he left for the NFL and started all the, all the games there for the Irish after McGlinchey left. Now, Again, kind of going on a con that I have. And speaking of McGlinchey, McGlinchey's a bit bigger, uh, about 6'8", and, and in the three teens. Uh, you saw there, but I think 6'6", uh, 302 or so for Eichenberg. But still a lot of good stuff here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play some clips here via Twitter that I found um, that were also just kind of little clips off of other film that I watched from him. But I thought that they would help some people see some of the things that I am talking about here. So this is from uh, Blitz Analytics. But if you see here, you see here, uh, watch the circle. He's in pass pro. He gets, a, he gets a little bit of a bull rush against him there. I didn't really like that one. Uh, there was one here from our buddy, Blake Jewell of all Bengals, John. I'll put this one up here as well. He likes Eichenberg as a Bengals target here. So check this out. This It is off TV here. So a little, a little grainy there, but you can see here, he's pretty stout, right? Just kind of holds his ground in this one. Uh, doesn't let the defender get to do much of anything that, so I like that one. And then, one of the things that I noticed, and not necessarily in these that I'm sharing, but one of the things I noticed quite a bit in the run blocking aspect, a lot of movement up to this and, and effectiveness at the second level. A lot of second level stuff where he got up and, and knocked out a linebacker, knocked out some others up the field a bit to spring big plays. So this, those are some of the things that I saw and some of those clips are available on Twitter and whatnot. But Again, just kind of solid across the board, solid athlete, not spectacular, solid across the board in, in terms of what he does. I think he has the ability to be a, a pretty good pro for a team for years, but not necessarily a perennial Pro Bowl type of guy. And I think that solid, good, not great um, overall profile is what will allow him to be there sometime on day two for the Bengals to target. Like people are so worried that if the Bengals go chase, that there's going to be this magical run on offensive linemen and 10 or 15 guys are going to be off the board in the first 37 picks. But I don't think Eichenberg is going to be one of them. I think if the Bengals are interested, they will get a shot at him because you're right. He doesn't have incredible athleticism. He doesn't have these these wild physical traits. It doesn't really wow you in terms of on-field play, but he just gets the job done. I think 
PFF had him as one of their most stable pass blocking offensive linemen. And that's what you kind of come to expect from guys at Notre Dame. Like uh, for years, I, I know Harry Heiston, the offensive line coach is no longer there, but they just pump out good offensive linemen. It's just like Iowa and Wisconsin. Like those guys are, are NFL ready. And um, he, like you said, he's not necessarily this physical specimen, not like Mike McGlinchey, who he replaced when McGlinchey was drafted by the 49ers in 2018, but he's just a solid player. I, I think what what is a little bit concerning though, the, the lack of arm length, it might be a little bit under the Bengals threshold. He, I believe measured him with 32 and a half inch arms, which to them is most likely a guard. Um, I, I don't think they would have that type of player at tackle long-term. Also, you know, the middling athleticism, it does make you wonder if he is a fit in a wide scheme zone. But, but that's also an interesting point too, because uh, courtesy of pro football focus in their um, advanced data, Notre Dame ran like 60% of zone in terms of run plays and only like 30% of gap style runs, which is like, the, like not what the Bengals do. So the Bengals are more zone oriented and Eichenberg's zone block or run blocking grade was in the nineties this year was like its best overall year run blocking. And that was the same year that they switched to more zones. So that kind of bodes well for fitting what, what they want in terms of how he produced, but also I think just being an average athlete, it, it doesn't, it's not ideal, I guess, if you want to have guys, you know, in that zone blocking scheme getting up to the second level. But like you said, he's not going to lose like tremendously and it's not going to lose often. It's just a matter of, is he going to be effective, I guess, against superior athletes? And is he going to survive on the edge if they keep him a tackle with less than ideal arm length? I think his technique is fine to overcome that. And like you said, I think he's just a solid player who doesn't have a lot of weaknesses. So with, with all that in mind, like if, the, if he's there in rounds two, or even if he drops to round three, because he doesn't, he just doesn't wow you. And he's just like, he just exists. And there's other more promising guys that are drafted above him. He, he might interest the Bengals. I, I guess the one thing to note though, is that Notre Dame had its pro day today. And Frank Pollock was not in attendance as one of the offensive line coaches. So, I mean, Eichenberg is not the only Notre Dame offensive line prospect in this class. So the fact that Pollock wasn't there at all, it may or may not be telling that, you know, they just they just aren't really interested. But, you know, it's not an end-all type of thing. They could just know a lot about him and just not want to see him in person. So, yeah, if he's there and they would like to address offensive line at that point in the draft, I think he has to be someone that, that they look at. Speaking of Frank Pollock, Roy York in our live Facebook chat says, is Liam better than the tackle at USC? Well, Frank Pollock was on hand and doing the drills with Elijah Vera Tucker at USC's pro day, was very interested in that or seemingly interested in that player and the, and those drills there. So, you know, take that for what you will. Liam, Liam is not a, a I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say Eichenberg is a better t- uh, offensive lineman prospect in this draft than Vera Tucker but it depends on how you view Vera Tucker. If you're more in line with him being a guard or a tackle, a lot, a lot of people seem to like Vera Tucker much more as a guard than a tackle. Um, this is the thing with Eichenberg, and this is what I'm not quite sure about. You know, you mentioned the sh- potential shorter arms and all of that. There's not really a track record. You know, we Leatherwood had a little experience at guard and then played tackle, right? That's not the the track record here. So. I don't know if Eichenberg, especially early, if you're going to say, hey, this is a guy we can plug in at guard and let him be groomed maybe to replace Reef in a year or two. I don't know how effective that will be because there's not, but to my knowledge, I, I didn't see a lot of guard stuff from Eichenberg. I, I saw a little bit of right tackle snaps, primarily, mostly, mostly on the left side. Right. And every offensive line position is different. I don't want to be the guy that says like, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Like you can play whatever, but I also think that, you know, if you're playing left tackle at Notre Dame and you spend an entire off season, you know, working at a different position for the NFL, I think he could be able to do that just because just tech, 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 technique wise. And just from a technical standpoint, he's just solid. He doesn't have anything that strikes you as that's going to be a problem. He's doesn't bend at the waist that much. He doesn't end up on the ground. Both things were really prevalent with Billy Price at Ohio state. Like, he has some limitations from from an athleticism standpoint and from a physical standpoint, but I think he works well with those and he doesn't have anything that evaluators and scouts are going to be like, that's an issue. We don't want to invest in that early, but at the same time, those limitations kind of make him less desirable, but that could work for the Bengals favor. Even if they aren't tremendously high on him, I think if he's available a little bit later than what people expect, just because there are more high upside tackles in this class, he's a target. 
I I think so as well. It's just, you know, where, where do you play him right away? And is this what you don't want? I mean, ideally, you want guys that you draft in the high rounds. You want them to come in, plug, play, and be effective for you right away. Again, he, he very well could come in and play a guard position and be effective right away. Uh, maybe that's maybe that's his trajectory based on the arm length in general in the NFL. But, uh, you know, ideally you want him to go and play, right? If you're going to take him at the top of round two, say, you want this guy to play right away and be effective for you. And, you know, if it's a position that he's not overly familiar with, I don't know. A lot of accolades, a lot of awards for this kid. Um, you know, one of the best offensive linemen in college football as of last year. So there's a lot to like. It's just a matter of how how high is the ceiling with this guy? Where do you play him right away? Those are some of my immediate concerns. Right. And I, I think because he's not, you know, he doesn't fit all their thresholds for a tackle. If they draft him, they might just draft him as a guard, just mm-hmm. full time. But if, if, if that's the plan, they stick to it and they just commit to it, then it could definitely work out. Uh, also, I think just it's an overarching type of thing to look out for now because a lot of these tackles, when they're measuring in at their pro days, they don't have like the elite arm length. I think Leatherwood is one one of the few exceptions in this entire class. For a lot of these guys, have like thirty three inch arms or less, and especially for Frank Pollock, I, I think for the most part he has worked with offensive linemen with you know um, very long frames, very long wingspans. Like that fits guys who have to get laterally really quickly in these wide zone schemes. Like that's it's, it's a prerequisite more or less. So that's something to watch for. If a lot of these guys just end up being a little bit you know shorter or they don't have as big of arm lengths or arm lengths or wingspans like that. That's something to look at. Well, for those who say I only talk about USC prospects, I went with one of USC's biggest rivals and one of the Bengals biggest needs in terms of offensive line. We thought it was only fair if we're going to, if I was going to say Jamar Chase is going to be the pick at number five based on his workout today in our state, your case then we got to say, well, let's let's look at offensive line options at the top of round two because there should be some good ones, this kid included, and Leatherwood. At, the, at a rival school of USC, nonetheless. I mean, do, right. do you consider Notre Dame a rival of USC yes. just because yes. they play that game? Yes. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, Notre Dame traditionally is a, is a big it's, – it's weird, though, because they're not in the same conference, right? So, um, so how did that start, though? Like, I just know it's like a story. A long time ago. Long time ago. Long time. Here's let's sit back and do a history. Let no, I'm not going to do that. Um, but long, long time ago, uh, these these the the two teams clashed quite a bit and in some very big games and uh, yeah. So there's been some kind of iconic college football games between the two teams. Storied history between both both teams, obviously. But uh, yeah, Eichenberg is a guy to to keep your eye on. May not be you know the most exciting or best offensive line prospect in the entire class, but he is, he is a good one, a solid one. I think John and I can agree on that one there and could be a target for the Bengals based on what their projections are. And I, I I find it interesting what you said about their thresholds and what the Bengals usually like uh, in terms of some of the measurables and stuff. So that's something to definitely continue to monitor. Let's drop the mic and get on out of here, John. What, what do you have for us before the, the other big show coming up here on a little later on Wednesday night. I think that is my only um, mic droppable thing right now. Just definitely take a break, eat some dinner, maybe take a nap because you're going to need all the energy that you can possibly muster up for this next show. Again, for Orange is the New Black on Ace Boogie's YouTube channel. Definitely check that out. It's going to be wild and chaotic. It might not make a lot of sense, but it'll definitely be worth your time. Please do. uh, After you check out this episode and – Go, go check out that episode. Should be a good one. I'm going to just say this, that we have some uh, some pretty cool guests coming up. If you remember if you remember last year around draft time, there was we had a kind of a, a, a string of a lot of different guests, which was really good. And even shortly after the draft as well, we had, you know, Takeo Spikes and Dahani Jones and, all, you know, all of these, these great people uh, coming on our program. And we're going to try and match if not better that coming up here so we've got a couple of of names we've been working with and trying to get them on the program in the very near future they are interested we are going to have mike daniels back on the program 
coming up in the very near future. Now that he has inked a contract again with the Cincinnati Bengals, there is uh, we've been in contact with his representation and there is interest for him to come back on the show. He's one of our favorites, one of the fan favorites. So we're going to get him back on the very near on the show, in the very near future. We've also been talking with, here's a name, a little blast from the past, Richmond Webb, offensive lineman for the Miami Dolphins, one of the best uh, and played for the Bengals for a couple of seasons as well. One of the best offensive linemen of his era. We want to get his take on the draft, his time with the Bengals, his great career. So we're working with him. And I've got one more surprise. I'm going to tell my co I didn't get to tell you off the air. Mm-hmm. We've got one more surprise guess. I'm not going to spill the spill the beans there that we're trying to to work out, which would be very fun as well. So we're trying to get some of these players um where there's interest there so we're we're getting them back on but uh, pretty excited to have some of these guys on the show in the near future absolutely and for the people who are asking in the comments eight o'clock for for the uh, mega show that we're referring to yep eastern go join <laughs> go check it out thanks everybody this has been the orange and black insider Bengals podcast for john sheeran i'm anthony kazenza go download the symbol app as well get involved there put in the promo code obi we'll see you next time